Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Y'all like board games? Anybody here, like, love board games? Wow. Y'all need other sources of entertainment. Now, if you like it, it's totally cool. I'm not a big uh, board game fanatic. Like, I don't say, let's spend a Saturday evening playing board games. That's not necessarily me. But I, I play if somebody talks me into it. A um, couple of different reasons. Number one is takes too long to play most of them. And so about 10, 15 minutes in, I'm, I'll take a dive. I'm just ready to lose so that I can go and do something else. I mean, I, there's football on. But the second reason is because usually there's a lot of instructions. I don't, I don't do very good with instructions. And I, I think it's like my ADD or something. I, I have a hard time reading instructions. And then I also have a hard time following instructions. Um, one of the games that I will play, though, is Jenga because it's fast and because stuff breaks, right? Um, and so we all, know, we all know the point of Jenga. It's to take a block off somewhere down at the bottom and to, uh, and to put it up top, right? But now my hands shake a lot, so y'all don't judge me, okay? My hands shake a lot, and so I'm not necessarily... Not necessarily good... How many of you, ever, of you feel like your life is kind of like a Jenga tower? And you're one wrong move away from the whole thing collapsing. You feel like if I get one more piece of bad news, then my whole life is going to crumble. If I make one more mistake in my marriage, I'm going to lose it. If I go back to that thing one more time, it's all going to crumble down. If I commit that sin again, my reputation is going to be ruined. Some of you even feel like that with God. Like you're one wrong move and he is this close to disconnecting from you forever. Like he is this close from tearing down your entire life. You live in shame you feel like you've sinned too much. You feel like you've gone too far. You feel like you've gone too far away from him. You feel like you've hurt too many people. You feel like you've crashed too many relationships. And so you feel like God is about to rip the foundation out of your life. And if he doesn't, then you're perfectly capable yourself with one more wrong move. Some of you today have doubts about who God is, and it really has nothing to do with God. It has something to do with with what you've done, doesn't it? We've been in this series called I Doubt It over the last few weeks. By the way, wasn't last week incredible? An amazing Sunday. I could have, we could have stayed here all day and I'd have been fine, but I knew y'all were hungry. But we've been in, in the middle of this series today. I want to continue this series with the topic, he's bigger than that. He's 
bigger than that. Come on, somebody should have shouted right there. Because the God we serve is bigger than that. What is that? That is anything you can put in there. Your sin, your mistakes, the things people have said about you, the places you've gone that you shouldn't have gone, the things that you've done that you shouldn't have done, the turns you made you shouldn't have made. He's bigger than that. He's big enough to part waters. He's big enough to take down giants. He's big enough to make walls fall down just by marching around them. He's bigger than that, y'all. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. That was just the introduction. We're going to be in John 8. There's a story in John 8 that is often debated in Christian circles with biblical scholars. You know, I told you a couple of weeks ago that there's over 6,000 original manuscripts of the New Testament And there's like a 99.5% accuracy rate between those original manuscripts. The story we're going to talk about today is actually one of the places where those manuscripts can kind of of defer. Um, And the reason why I bring all of that up is because I think it lends credence to like all of biblical study. Because what it tells me is it tells me that the people that study the Bible that are a lot smarter than I am aren't just looking to prove their point when they study it. They're not like your favorite news outlet that's just looking to prove a point when they study it, right? They're actually looking at it through a critical eye. And so the fact that this is debated, I think, gives credence to all of, all of biblical study. Most scholars believe that John wrote this passage they just kind of defer on when he wrote it and where it should be placed in the gospel. The original, some of the original manuscripts have it in different places. I think it fits really well in John 8 as far as, far as the flow of Scripture. So I'm going to read this story, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Does that sound good? Good, because I have a microphone. John 8, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered And he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Now you can imagine the state of this lady. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood back up again. He said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. It's not a pretty story, is it? It's not a good story. It's, it's not one that you would like put in a kid's story Bible. It's not one that you would want painted and hanging in the hallway. It's a, it's a rough story. It's full of deceit and sin and scandalous activity. It's not, a, it's, it's, it's not an easy story. As a matter of fact, it's, it's not a pure story. Kind of reminds me of 2023 in America, right? Do y'all know that we live in an R-rated world? Like, everything is not just rosy and and cute and cuddly. Everything just doesn't work out. Everybody's not perfect. Everything's not perfect. I'm thankful that the Bible involves stories like this 
to tell us that it is just as relevant today as it was when it was written. The Bible doesn't shy away from the dirty. It doesn't shy away from the controversial. It's, my, it's a lot like our time today. And so the Bible is, is, is relevant through generation after generation after generation. People may begin to think that this book is an outdated book, but it's not. It still applies to us today, so many years later. And aren't you, aren't you thankful that this is a church that teaches real stuff? That we, just, that we don't just teach what you want to hear. We don't just teach the easy to digest. But we teach the, the tough stuff, the at times ugly stuff, because that is the stuff of the Bible. Because this is real life, y'all. Because life on planet Earth in 2023 is hard. And it's even harder when you're trying to live a decent life and represent Jesus, isn't it? So in this story, we have some accusers, some men who have caught this lady in adultery. We have this lady who has been caught in adultery, who is obviously fearful, shaken up. And then we have Jesus in the midst of it all. Y'all, Jesus will never leave you just because your life is messy. Jesus will never leave you just because there's some unrest in your life. Jesus stands there among the accusers and among this lady. Jesus is teaching in the temple when these men bring this woman to him. If we continue to read John 8, verse 20 says that he was actually teaching in the treasury. He was teaching in the court of the women. What is the court of the women? I'm glad you asked. It was on the it was kind of on the outskirts of the temple. And it would actually have been the closest place inside the temple that women could have come. Because in this society, women were, were pushed down. Women were left out. Women weren't seen as having a whole lot of value. And so they could only go so far into the temple. And I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus is standing in the court of women where he knows that these people who are pushed out, pushed down, would be able to hear him. Why, why still in 2023 do we tend to push people away simply based off of if they're male, female, the color of their skin, the culture they grew up in? Why do we continue to do that? Jesus is obviously not doing that. He's saying, I know that you get pushed down, but I am going to teach among you because you're worth it. Your sex, your race, your age, your culture, your upbringing does not determine your worth. And so Jesus has obviously proven a point. He's saying, I am going to teach these ladies because no one else will, but I am the kind of man who will stand among those that are others, others push out so that I can teach them and so that I can love them the way they need to be loved. Can I just tell somebody today who feels pushed away, who feels picked on, who feels pushed down because there's something about you that others seem to see in a negative light. Can I just tell you that Jesus will never push you down? Jesus is about lifting people up, not stepping over them. Some of you were raised to believe that, weren't you? That you have to have this certain standing, that there has to be, you have to look a certain part, you have to talk with a certain voice. Jesus is all about those that other people push down and push away. He's always willing to love you because he made you. And as the country preacher used to say, God don't make no junk. And he made you. These men are trying to trap Jesus because they want him arrested and killed. They're, they're really trying to trap him between 
a rock in a hard place. You see, what they're trying to, trying to get to is they're trying to put him in this no-win situation. On one hand, if he says, yes, we need to go ahead and stone her, that's what the law says, then that's outside of his character, and, 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 and that would kind of ruin his reputation for loving sinners and loving those people that everybody else pushes down, wouldn't it? And the other sinners that are there that have begun to, to follow him would immediately disconnect from him. On the other hand, if he says, no, don't stone her, don't, don't worry about it, then they have a case, right? Because at that point, he's speaking against the Jewish law of the time, and so they could arrest him, and they could have him subject to death himself. And so they, they bring her to Jesus, and they say she's been caught in adultery. Now, that's a big deal, right? I mean, even in 2023, we can still agree that that's not good. Like, that's, that's, not, what you, that's not what you want to do. This woman has obviously sinned, and she's broken the Jewish law. She's broken one of the Ten Commandments, right? One of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not commit adultery. So she's broken the Jewish law. But I do think it raises some questions, right? Do y'all have questions about this? Like, the first thing is, how did they catch her? Because the Jewish law of the time would say that there had to be an eyewitness. There had to be multiple eyewitnesses in order for this lady to be stoned. So how did they catch her? The second question is probably the question that most of you have right now, and that is, where's the dude? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's always taken two to tango. And so where, where is the guy in the midst of all this? Because we, we, never, we never hear of him. Apparently, he's gotten off scotch-free. And what I read, and I think this is really interesting, is that some biblical scholars believe that the man that she was with is actually one of these accusers with a rock in his hand. Y'all, we have to be careful about how we judge other people and their issues. Just because you don't do that thing, we still all have our junk, y'all. And what, what I've noticed, especially in today's culture, is it can be really easy for us, for us to fuss at other people just because they sin differently than us. But also what I've noticed is that oftentimes the things that I, and I'll say I because I don't want you to feel like I'm attacking you, the things that I point out in other people, the reason why I'm calling them out of them is because I have an issue with it. And so sometimes the things that we are most vocal and screaming, don't do that, stop that, you're going to hell, the things that we are most vocal about are the things that we have secret issues with. We got to be careful when we point out other people's sins and other people's mistakes, we've got we to gotta be careful when we pick on certain sins and we think that those are worse than whatever we're, we're dealing with. This man very well could have been one of the accusers with his own rock about to stone a lady when he deserved to be there too. So they bring this woman in front of Jesus and they, they put her in front of him. The woman known as the woman caught in adultery. We don't, we don't know her name. We have no called name of this lady. All we know her as is the woman caught in adultery. Now, there's some debate about who it, who it could have been, but we don't know. So this, this lady, we, we don't know her name, and we don't know her story. We don't know how she was raised. Maybe there was something in her past that made her susceptible to this. We don't know her insecurities. We don't know what she's been through. We don't know the conversations she's had. We don't know the loneliness inside of her. We don't even know the good things that she could have done the day before she messes this up. 
don't we love to identify people by their worst mistakes? Do you ever feel like you're most known for what you got wrong? Maybe, maybe you live in guilt. Because it's not just what other people see from you, but it's the thing that you feel the most or the times you've gotten wrong. Maybe you have a family member. And yes, you have a past, and every time you get around them, they bring that up. And so you have been trying for years to get rid of this reputation. You have done so many good things since then. That's not who you are. But yet you're still known and identified by so many people for what you messed up. And we can do this to ourselves the worst, right? I mean, I can do a bunch of good stuff. But the one thing that I get wrong, that's the thing I allow to replay over and over and over in my head. And so we can begin to think that our mistakes are our our identity, And we can begin to label ourselves and allow other people to label us by the things we've gotten wrong. And what it leads to is it leads to us wondering, do other people only see me by my mistakes? And if we're not careful, it'll bring us to the point of thinking, is that all that Jesus sees in me too? Is that all I'm known for by him? you begin to live in guilt, right? Because of the mistakes that you made, and they were legitimate mistakes. I mean, when you messed it up, you messed it up good. You were a good sinner. But you'll begin to replay that over and over, and you begin to live in guilt. And if you've lived in guilt long enough, you know that a guilt-filled life is a tiring life because you always feel like you're trying to make up for it, don't you? You always feel like you're trying to do more. You always feel like you're trying to lose this reputation. And so this lady who's been caught in adultery, they put her in front of Jesus and they ask Jesus, what should we do with her? Now keep in mind, this woman is guilty. It's obvious. There's no debate about that. She's guilty. She knows she's guilty. These accusers with the rocks knows that she's guilty. And Jesus knows she's guilty. And instead of saying anything, Jesus stoops down and begins to write in the dirt. In the heat of the moment, this lady's life is on the line. The life of Jesus is on the line. She's exposed, she feels abandoned, And in the moment, Jesus doesn't offer a defense with his words. He stoops down and he writes in the the dirt. It's almost like he is reaching down and he is identifying with her in the humiliation that she is feeling. Did you know that Jesus will always stoop down and join you in your dirt? It reminds me. This story is is symbolic of the fact that Almighty God's Son, who deserved a seat on a throne at the right hand of God, was willing to step down into dirty earth for you and for me. So he stoops down and he begins to to scribble in the dirt. Did you notice what Jesus didn't do? He didn't do what some of you have been raised to think he would do. He didn't chunk a rock at her. He didn't start calling her names. He didn't tell her to, just stop it. You're better than that. 
No, he, he, didn't, he didn't do any of that. He stoops down, almost identifying with her humiliation. And do you know why? Because everybody else in the crowd that day saw this lady by her mistakes. Jesus saw her through his grace. This no-named, adulterous woman, Jesus does not condemn. For some of us today, that should almost bring you to tears, right? Because you do feel humiliated. You have made some mistakes. You've labeled yourself by what you've done wrong. You feel like it's all about to crumble down. You even see every little bad thing that you do as Jesus getting back to and you it, back at you, and you even feel like if, if he takes one more thing out of my life, it's all going to come crumbing, coming down. Can I tell you today that Jesus is stooping down in your dirt. He's meeting you in your dirt, and he's whispering to you, I'm not angry. I'm still gracious. I'm still approachable, and I'm still willing to get down in the dirt with you. So he stoops down, and he begins to write. So what did he write? I don't know. As a matter of fact, it's been debated by, for a long time. Like what Jesus could have scribbled in the dirt. Here's, here, here's some, some speculation. Some think that Jesus simply doodled in the dirt. Because the, the verb translated wrote there can also be to draw. Some think Jesus was simply stalling for time. I like to think he's doing both. You, know, you ever doodle while you're on the phone? I, th I like to think he's doing both. He's doodling and he's stalling for time, for time at the same time. Some say um, that maybe he wrote out a passage like Exodus 23, 1 that says, do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Some think that Jesus wrote the name of the accusers. That would be a pretty cool one. Suckers. Some think, <laughs> some think Jesus wrote the sins of the accusers. That would still be a pretty awesome move. Some think that Jesus followed Roman judicial practice and wrote out his sentence before he said it. You know what I think? You don't want my opinion? Even if you don't, I'm going to give it. I don't think it matters. I don't think it's like God got to the end of the Bible, closed it, and thought, oh man, I forgot to put in, put in there why Jesus stooped down and what he wrote. I don't think Jesus did that because I think the most important part of this isn't what he wrote. It's not what he scribbled. It's that he stooped. That this woman who's caught in adultery, he stoops down in the midst of her pain and in the midst of her sin. So after he stoops, he finally gets enough and he says, all right, let you who are perfect cast the first stone. It was actually required by Jewish law that the accusers cast the first stones. But here's the brilliant part about what, what Jesus says here. Instead of passing a sentence onto this woman, effectively he's passing the sentence onto the accusers. He didn't say don't execute her. He didn't say don't stone her. He simply said if we're going to do this, we're going to do this the right way. And so her accusers slowly begin to drop their rocks and walk away. 
At this point, this woman has to be an emotional mess, right? Like she's still, she's still nervous because she's not exactly sure what Jesus is going to do. She's got to be shaking. She's crying. She's hurt. She's exposed. She knows that she's guilty. She feels violated. She feels broken. Maybe, maybe, maybe she's even collapsed on the ground at this point. I mean, she's guilty, right? It's obvious she does deserve to be stoned according to Jewish law. How many of you can relate to that? You're a mess. You're tired. You're scared. You're hurt. You've let people down. You've made your mistakes. You're addicted. You're broken. You're sinful. And you're guilty. Those are the facts. But I think Jesus would say the same thing to you and I that he says to this lady in verse 10. This is what it says. He says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Can't you imagine she's trying to catch her breath? In the midst of the tears, she's trying to get it out. She says, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Here's the beautiful part. And if you're writing something down, you might want to write this down. You may want to just try to remember it. She's guilty, but she's not condemned because she met Jesus. Let me say it again. She's guilty, but she's not condemned. Because she's met Jesus. She's guilty, but she's not condemned. She's not going to have to withstand the stoning. Not because she's perfect. Not because, oh, by the way, we were all just kidding and we made this whole thing up. No, she's guilty, but she's not condemned because the man who stooped in the dirt said, you are not condemned. She's guilty, but she's not condemned because she met Jesus. So he's saying to some of us today, he's saying, I do not condemn you. I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. I haven't lifted my eyes from your life. I haven't lifted my hand from your life. It's not going to all crumble, and I'm not out to get you. If you will accept me and you will meet with me, I will forgive you, and I will change you and put you on a better path forever. I do think we have to get the full context to what Jesus is saying, though. Because Jesus doesn't say, I don't condemn you. Go and do it again. He doesn't say, it's no big deal. Go do whatever you want to. No, instead, he says, go and sin no more. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying, don't commit adultery anymore, not because you fear stoning, but because you've met me and you've been rescued by my grace. We are saved by grace alone, y'all. It's nothing that we can do. It's nothing that we can earn. We are saved by grace alone. And so Jesus isn't light on sin here. He's not giving her a free pass. Jesus isn't light on sin now. It still breaks his heart. 
it still breaks his heart when you and I get it wrong. It still messes with him because that we were the reason he had to die. Jesus isn't light on sin, but here's some good news if you're a sinner like me. He's not light on sin, but he is heavy on some grace, y'all. He's not light on sin, but he's heavy on grace. And so some of you have have had it wrong for a long time. You don't do the right thing to earn his grace. His grace motivates you to do the right thing. And sometimes I think you have to mess up bad enough to earn a true appreciation for all that he's done so that you can have the motivation to follow him wherever he takes you. He's not light on sin, but he's bigger than it. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than your sin, than what you did last night, than what you've done in your past. He's bigger than your labels, than the labels that other people have placed on you, where they've identified you by what you've done wrong. He is bigger than that. He's bigger than your doubt that you have. He's bigger than your fear. He's bigger than your depression. He's bigger than the last mistake you made, y'all. He's bigger than that, and he's more loving than that. He's more gracious than that. He's, he's more comforting than that. He's, he, he's bigger than that, and he's worthy of our love and our devotion because he's bigger than anything we are facing, especially our sin. That's our Jesus. He's bigger than that. So maybe maybe you feel like your life has come crashing down. You're in the perfect place. Because no, you haven't, you haven't destroyed your life. Because Jesus can always rebuild it. I look around and all I see are burning buildings, barren trees. Hopelessness is starting to wreak havoc Son of man I know you see the deepest depth unknown to me You have planted seeds among the ashes You rebuild You restore all that's broken From the Still my anxious heart All that's gone is never lost Emmanuel is here And he is faithful So I won't let my praises stop I sing it from these rubble rocks I know you are good And you are able You rebuild 
do You turn sorrow to gladness Yeah, that's what you do I give glory and honor For all that you do I will sing hallelujah For all that you do You raise beauty from ashes Yeah, that's what you do like for you I don't know what pieces you need him to put back together but he is perfectly capable of reaching down in your dust in your dirt and rebuilding what you thought there was no hope for there's people here this morning there's people watching online and your first step is to meet Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed I want to give you a chance to to meet Jesus like this lady we just talked about. It's really simple today. You can't meet him face to face in a physical in a physical way, but meeting Jesus today means that you confess that you've missed the mark, that you've missed the standard, that you do have the junk. It means that you believe that Jesus is the answer for that junk, that he did come as God's son, live a perfect life, die on a cross and raised from the dead to defeat death forever for you. It means that you confess that He's your Lord, that He's the boss of your life and you're going to follow Him. So if you need to do that this morning, you can just say this prayer in your heart. If you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, maybe you could just pray for the people who are wrestling through this decision. But if you need to pray this prayer, say, God, I give up. I can't keep it together. I know, I've, I know I'm guilty, but I believe you're my answer. So I trust in who you are, that you're the perfect Savior. I confess that I'm going to do my best to follow you. That once, now that I've met you, 
going to live my life to please you. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to do my best. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can look this way. We're about to, we're about to celebrate, celebrate baptism. Some of our favorite Sundays of the year are baptism Sundays. We have some folks who have planned to get baptized over the last few weeks. We've been talking through, through that with them, and they understand that they have a relationship with Jesus long before this. What they're doing today is they're giving, they're telling you, and they're telling everybody, I have been changed by Jesus. And so they're giving testimony. They're giving an example that their lives are going to be different. So we're going to celebrate that together. We're going to scream. We're going to shout. We're going to get really, really excited. But the point of baptism is it's not part of your salvation. It's, it's symbolic. And so in a minute, they're going to be dunked under the water through submersion. And when they go under the water, what they're saying is they're saying, I'm dying to my old self. That sinful self, I'm dying. And when they come out of that water, they're identifying with the resurrection of Jesus. And they're saying, I died to my old self, but I am being born a new creation. Jesus is inside of me and things have changed. So we're going to go ahead and baptize them. But as we do that, as we stand and as we do that, if you want to get baptized this morning, we are ready for you. There's going to be some people that are standing up here. I'll be up here. We would love to talk to you today. Maybe you just accepted Jesus. Now is the time to get baptized. In the Bible, when somebody, when somebody accepted, they baptized them right away. Now is the time. Or maybe you've been putting it off. You just hadn't quite been able to take that step. We have everything you could possibly need. See, one of the things I love about this church is we love people. We love people from all cultures, from all walks of life. And so whatever you need that's uh, important to you, we have it available. We have everything you could possibly need. We have t-shirts, we have, short, we have towels, everything you can need. So if you need to get baptized this morning, don't think, just move as we stand and sing. And we're going to celebrate these and we're going to celebrate more because heaven has gained a few more citizens this morning. Y'all ready? Let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you redeem, that you rescue, that you love, that you step down in our dust. And God, we thank you that we get to celebrate that today. God, I pray for the, for the people who are struggling right now to move, God, that you would move them. God, I pray that we would celebrate like crazy because you have changed eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.